Thank you very much, Madam Secretary. And we, without objection, will put your full testimony, written testimony, into uh, the record. Uh, we'll begin uh, rounds of questioning now, seven minutes. Uh, uh, I will stop uh, as asking questions when my seven minutes are up, and I'll ask everyone else uh, to do the same so that uh, we can make sure everyone gets a chance to, to um, make inquiries that are important to these issues across the country. Let me start with the Klamath uh, Basin. The Klamath Basin has, in Oregon, has experienced uh, many, many years of drought, uh, a number of worst ever drought years, and it puts enormous stress on the water resources, water resources that have declined both with the changing weather patterns and also the, the loss of uh, less water coming out of the uh, Cascade snowpack. And um, we have, Congress has provided uh, $162 million in the bipartisan infrastructure law and more than 16 million through the Fish and Wildlife Service for the Klamath Basin, helping to address those issues. But these funds uh, will, will be uh, uh, funds that will not last forever, and the, the question is kind of what is the plan to be able to help the basin uh, figure out the path for the future in this, under these difficult uh, circumstances. I really appreciate that a team led by Liz Klein just recently completed a trip to the basin, and your department has convened a number of roundtables with stakeholders. So um, just what is the status of that $162 million and how will the funding be distributed, and what is the timeline? Chairman, thank you so much for the question. And uh, first of all, I, I think you know how much we all care about the Klamath Basin, and we have people in our department. Liz is one of those, Tanya Trujillo, another, and of course, Camille Tutin, who uh, every single day uh, work on this issue. And um, there's, there's, there's not enough water, obviously. And um, that is um, the incredibly... Um, challenging piece of all of that. Um, I, I thank you for recognizing that we're doing our best to work with partners on the ground. I think it's incredibly important that we are in contact with the people whose lives are affected by this issue. And um, I, I just want to assure you that every single day um, uh, our team is working with partners in the states to evaluate the options for renewing discussions about how to foster the long-term um, um, you know, issues moving forward. Um, I think that um, we will take our cues from folks on the ground and um, know that uh, our team is dedicated. Um, I wanted to also uh, recognize that uh, the tribal communities are important in this piece as well. Uh, you might know that I had a chance to meet with all those folks virtually and um, just understand that even though there might be um, people don't agree on everything, they agree uh, that they care deeply about this place. So th thank you. And we're happy to keep you informed of the progress on this issue as we move forward. Uh, thank you. I absolutely will follow up because how we spend that $162 million is going to be so important to the future and success of all the stakeholders in the, in the basin. I want to commend you for your leadership on the Indian Boarding School Initiative. Mm -hmm. You've embarked on a mission to document a dark chapter in American uh, history. Um, just fully uh, supportive of these efforts and, and uh, well, a lot of those schools, uh, a number of them were, were in, in Oregon, uh, 10 of those schools, uh, one of which, uh, uh, Chamawa, is still operating 
under, but fortunately under very different circumstances uh, from, that, from that past. How will the department use the FY22 funding of $7 million to further the efforts for this program? Thank you very much, um, Chairman. As you know, we finished our first report on the boarding school initiative. We're working on the second report. We also started a um, nationwide um, listening tour, if you will, um, um, a healing journey tour. Uh, we had the first piece of that this past weekend at the Riverside Indian School in Anadarko, Oklahoma. Um, we will travel to your state, uh, likely, um, as well as to many states across the country. Um, the second uh, report in the boarding school initiative will just dive deeper into the, into the issues that we raised. Um, and it's largely driven by uh, what the tribes would like us to do as well. So we're keeping close contact with, um, with all of that. Uh, we appreciate your support. Um, there is, I mean, there's, there's more work to do to bring closure and healing to this issue. And so the, the $7 million, it's, it's going to go toward the healing journey, toward uh, writing, researching and writing the second report and any subsequent reports that would come after that. I think we're all going to learn a lot from, from this, this effort. It's an incredibly important effort. Thank you. Uh, Public Law 280 is a nearly 70-year-old law affecting criminal jurisdiction in tribal lands in six states, including Oregon. I know that criminal jurisdiction on tribal lands has complicated the situation for each affected tribe is unique. But essentially, there's uh, 32 tribes across the country that should qualify for funding assistance with their uh, criminal jurisdiction programs that have not been included in the past. And this is profoundly uh, unfair. And I want to draw it to your attention and I want to advocate that these 32 tribes be treated uh, uh, fairly. And uh, uh, just ask uh, uh, how you might uh, champion uh, appropriate, equal, fair treatment of these tribes that have been excluded even though they qualify. Uh, Chairman, thank you so much for the question. Of course, um, justice services, law enforcement in Indian country is, is a priority for, uh, for all of us. And I recognize that um, sometimes it can be difficult given where the tribal communities are located. Uh, but safety all across Indian country is a priority um, for me. Um, we have focused on increasing capacity in areas where we have existing law enforcement programs, growing our missing and murdered unit, um, and I, I know you were supportive of that, so thank you, improving detention and correction centers. Um, we recognize the need to turn our attention to the 32 non-PL280 tribes like the Cow Creek who have not had the opportunity to receive direct service law enforcement from the BIA. Um, for tribes in this situation, we're looking at strategies to provide them an opportunity to receive law enforcement funding in a manner that doesn't diminish the level of support for tribes who are in these, um, who receive the law enforcement services for funding. So it's a, it's a good balancing act. Um, but I assure you that, that we care deeply, and, and this is an issue that we'll continue to work on 
And of course, we're happy to be in touch with you about it. Uh, thank you, Madam Secretary. I appreciate your recognition that those 32 tribes deserve uh, to be included in the program, and we'll work with you in that regard. And let me turn this over uh, to Ranking Member Senator Murkowski. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Madam Secretary, you know very well the issues related to our uh, uh, legacy wells up north, particularly within the, the National Petroleum Reserve. We've we provided significant resources to the department to address these um, last year, $22 million. Um, but what we're hearing is the concern, and I know it's been raised with you, that these wells are not being plugged to the appropriate standards. Um, in March, there were, there were releases that came from previously plugged legacy wells. You know, once they're plugged, they shouldn't be a problem. Um, but what, uh, what we're facing is the standards that are used by the state government in Alaska are more stringent, and they result in better remediation outcomes. I don't know if this is a staffing issue at BLM. If so, we can work to address that. But I need you to commit uh, to me to have BLM review the remediation and plugging standards that are used by the state of Alaska to see what improvements can be made to BLM's own standards, and I'd, I'd, I'd hope that after you get such a review, we can sit down and, and work through this. Absolutely. We're, we're happy to work with you on, on, on all of that, Senator. Okay. Thank you. Then I, what I would ask again is if you can do this review and if in three months we'll, we'll follow up for, for a meeting to go over that, I'd appreciate yes. that. Yes, of course. Uh, on the fires, I mentioned uh, what we're seeing up in the state right now, 512 fires this year covering 2.8 million acres of land. Um, Interior received $1.5 billion in the infrastructure bill for wildland fire or wildfire mitigation and preparedness. Um, I think it, it goes without saying, but we certainly need um, funding to conduct the hazardous fuels reduction. Can you tell me how much of the infrastructure money has been distributed and, and how soon you expect to see that funding get out the door? Thank, thank you so much. The bipartisan infrastructure law provided over $1.4 billion for Interior's fire programs over a five-year period. Wildland Fire Management Program allocated $407 million in 2022. Uh, the Interior and U.S. Forest Service recently announced $120 million will be paid out as a supplemental salary payments to wildland firefighters. That, that was so we could raise um, everyone's uh, pay to $15 an hour. Um, some programs will take longer to implement fully because of upfront planning and other requirements. And, can I, can um, I stop you on that? Yes. Because when, when I asked a similar question uh, in the Energy Committee recently uh, to, to Chief Moore, he said, you need to have a plan. Um, this, this, is, this is an issue where, again, I think the states have, have plenty of plans that are out there. And so I'm not sure where, where the issue is in, in getting these, these resources directed out to the states. So um, I'm, I'm trying to follow this through uh, with Forest Service. So um, if, there's, if there's still some delay, if we're waiting for plans in the meantime, places are on fire. Yeah. Um, so can you help me in, in understanding what more we can be doing to get these funds out the door? 
I, I don't, I mean, I'm happy to go back to, as you know, we have, um, we work with the Forest Service um, quite a bit with respect to wildland fire. Um, I'm happy to fo have someone follow up with, with your staff on this issue and make Good. sure that everything is in place and, and willing to, to do whatever we can to make Good. sure it happens. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned the, uh, the five-year plan and, and, and Cook Inlet, and <clears throat> I think there was a lot of, a lot of concern uh, in May when the department canceled lease sale 258, um, citing lack of industry interest. And I can say with real certainty that was, that was not the case. Um, but in the environmental analysis, the department's experts stated that if no lease sale occurred, the price for gas would increase, as would emissions due to use of alternative fuels. So, I mean, the, the, the problem that we're facing here is in Alaska, we're already paying some of the highest gas prices in the country. And so it was just kind of stunning to people to actually read the department's own words that canceling this sale would actually, actually, um, uh, canceling the sale would increase the, the emissions, increase the costs. So can you, can you tell me why this particular sale was, was canceled? What consultations were done with industry that led to this claim about lack of, of industry interest because the folks that are coming to me are saying, we, we absolutely uh, are interested, we're interested, now there's no opportunity because it's been taken off the table. Uh, thank you, ranking member. It, it, it was the fact that actual oil companies did not show interest in Cook Inlet. I, I recognize that the Oil and Gas Association um, did show interest, but um, for, for us to move that forward, we would have had to have interest from the actual companies who would be um, bidding on the leases. And right, but if, there's, if there has been nothing that has laid down, they can't indicate what their interest is. It's kind of a, uh, you know, chicken and egg or horse before the cart. I mean, but, but what happened was there was no ability, no opportunity to even show an interest because the sale was entirely canceled. Well, well I, I appreciate um, your perspective on this, and um, I, I'm not sure what to say other than what I have already said. Um, um, in, in any... In any other say, lease sales, we have actual companies showing the interest, uh, the industries they put forward, um, you know, um, ideas uh, for those opportunities, and we didn't get that with respect. Well, Secretary, to my, my time has expired. I will just share that uh, what we face is that 80% uh, of, the, of the natural gas um, that comes to to the most populated portion of the state comes out of, of that Cook Inlet. And there is a real concern that now that this is taken off the table, what comes next? Um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Senator Heinrich. Thank you, Chairman. Um, Secretary, welcome. I've been very glad to see the funding from the Great American Outdoors Act begin to go to work over the last couple of years. 
Um, but I'm deeply concerned about agency process bottlenecks that really frustrate our ability to get LWCF land and water conservation fund projects done in a reasonable time frame. And um, I certainly recognize the importance of accurate and professional appraisals, but I don't understand why that process should take years as it often now does. Uh, that was not the case in the past in these agencies, and it's not the case in the private real estate market, certainly. So what can we do to ensure that land and water conservation fund projects can be completed in a time frame that works both for the public but also for the landowners who engage in these transactions? Thank you so much, Senator. Um, it's nice to see you. Good Thank to see you. Thank you for the question. Um, so we're working with our LWCF bureaus and the Appraisal and Valuation Services Office to set up a comprehensive review that looks at the root causes of these delays, and um, that includes internal process, processes and external factors as well. Um, we're happy to follow up with you as that um, moves forward, and and we'll do what we can. I, and I understand I understand uh, the frustration. And so my hope is that we can get this to a place where the appraisals process can be done in a matter of months, as opposed to years. Um, you're familiar with the Elbar uh, project in New Mexico. We specifically avoided um, working with the federal government uh, in that transaction, other than the federal funding that came from Pittman Robertson. But we didn't use LWCF dollars in that project because the time frame just would not allow for it. So we have to get to a place where we can do marquee projects that, that really the kind of projects that the public really gets excited about, um, but on a time frame that works for these landowners. Thank you. Um, I want to ask you a little bit about Hard Rock Mine cleanup. Uh, as you know, in the bipartisan infrastructure bill, Congress finally authorized a program dedicated to abandoned Hard Rock Mine reclamation, um, something that's existed for abandoned coal mines for decades. Um, we all know that bill didn't include funding for that program, but your department budget request includes $85 million in new funding for hard rock cleanup, something I very much appreciate. But it directs it through other existing programs rather than through the, the specific uh, program authorized specifically for this purpose. So I just want to ask, does the administration support funding for the dedicated hard rock program authorized in the bipartisan infrastructure bill. Yes. Yes. Great. We look forward to working with you on that. I think it's going to break new ground, and uh, we're going to be able to do some really good projects uh, that should have been addressed decades ago, and I look forward to working with you closely on that. The number of um, tribal historic preservation officers, or TIPOs, has grown rapidly over the last couple of decades. Mm -hmm. Um, funding from the Historic Preservation Fund has not kept pace, as you know. Uh, more than 200 tribes have a Historic Preservation Office, but each TIPO receives only about $75,000 right now to support all the work that they do to review projects that impact tribal cultural sites, both on and off tribal land. Um, how can we get the Tribal Historic Preservation Office's um, the resources that they need to fully protect their community's sacred spaces. 
Thank you for the question, Senator. And of course, I fully support um, the Tribal Historic Preservation Offices. It may be the only federal program that helps tribes to protect and conserve um, their cultural history and resources. So they're incredibly important. Um, our 2023 budget proposes an $8 million increase for those offices. And um, uh, of course, we're always we're always available to help support uh, them in any way that we can. Yeah, I hope this committee will look closely at this, and and I, because the, you know, we're spreading the same resources over more and more tribal uh, typo offices, and yes. and it's not it's not a sustainable approach right now. Um, Secretary, as you are all too aware, um, American Indians and Alaska Natives living on reservations face violent crime rates up to 20 times those living off reservation. Uh, more than 80% of Native Americans will experience violence in their lifetime, and there are currently thousands of missing indigenous people. So I want to ask you a little bit about BIA and how they set their law enforcement priorities, and specifically referencing a situation uh, that we've had in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Basically, why instead of focusing on this crisis that is truly a crisis, um, are limited BIA resources being used to enforce federal cannabis laws on reservations where cannabis has already been legalized by the sovereign tribe um, there? Thank you for the question, Senator. And um of course, I believe very strongly that we should respect tribal laws and work in partnership with tribes on their public safety priorities, and um, they know their communities far better than we ever will. Um, so, uh, of course, this question also involves the, authorities, the authority and policy of the Department of Justice, and um, I, um, I respect that we have to have an administrative approach to this. So. Um, it's absolutely noted. Um, we, we have been approached by uh, tribes on this issue as well, and so it's something that, um, that we are not ignoring. Uh, I appreciate that, and I think this is a conversation that I look forward to continuing because I just think it's a, it's a horrible misappropriation of focus at a time when we have such pressing needs. And obviously, um, you know, in my state, the state has chosen to legalize cannabis. A number of tribes have followed suit. Whatever you think about that as a policy matter, we have such more important pressing criminal needs in Indian country right now that we need to set our priorities appropriately. So thank you, uh, Secretary, and my time is expired. Thank you. Senator and uh, Senator Hyde-Smith is next. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, and thank you, Secretary Holland, for being here today. Um, Madam Secretary, the draft proposed program issued recently by the Interior Department, in my opinion, is filled, it's just full of and uncertainty for the oil and gas industry, ambiguity, and... Um, for instance, it indicates the department will consider up to 10 Gulf of Mexico lease sales plus the option for one sale in Alaska's Cook Inlet that we've talked about, but does not guarantee any. What are the odds that the department could break with the past precedent and exercise the option to hold zero lease sales as the proposed five-year lease plan is finalized? 
Thank you very much for the question, Senator. And uh, first, what I'll say is that um, we, we do have a 90-day public comment period. Um, uh, obviously, those comments that come in will be um, factored into any decisions that we make. And um, it's, it's, we will, I can't prejudge anything at this time, but I, I absolutely appreciate your perspective and, and know that we will, we will work to have a balanced approach to, um, to this issue. And um, happy to stay in touch with your office as we move forward. So you do think we will have some lease sales? I can't prejudge the. Uh, I can't prejudge this issue uh, until we come to a decision. Uh, that will be after. Uh, it, we will work on that more after the 90-day public comment period. Outer continental shelf oil and gas has lower greenhouse gas intensities than fossil fuels used to substitute for energy not produced in the Gulf. Importing foreign energy also increases emissions because other countries sending us these resources have lower emission standards than we do. Are you aware that a no-sale option could in fact increase the price of all energy, oil, gas, coal, and electricity? Thank you for that comment, Senator. I, I appreciate that. So are you aware that it could increase the price of the energy, oil, natural gas, coal, and electricity is a question. Am I, well, I, I, and I, I, am, I appreciate your perspective on this. Um, when we are talking about our five-year plan and our job um, at the interior, um, it isn't, we don't take cost into consideration in that respect um, because we're focusing on uh, managing our natural resources. But because their standards are lower, their emission standards are lower, I mean, you don't agree that that could increase the price? Um, Senator, I, I, I'd be happy to follow up with your office on that on that if you would like, and I appreciate the question. And I appreciate the question, but I'd also appreciate an answer. Uh, what I could say is that um, I know that there's a lot that goes into the price of fuel, and I, I know it's expensive right now. Um, as I have said many times before, there are about 9,000 approved drilling permits across the country currently um, that are not being used. Um, 10.4 million acres of offshore federal waters already under lease. As of July, approximately three quarters of active leases on the OCS are non-producing. Um, I, I know that um, there's a lot that goes into considerations with the price of, of fuel. Um, but I want to assure you that at the Department of the Interior, we're doing our jobs to um, uh, and following the law to move um, any of these issues forward. Okay. And talking about those leases, let's talk about permits. What is your department doing to streamline the approval of right-of-way permits so gathering lines can be installed more quickly on public lands and to help make sure companies can use those 
9,000 federal permits the White House keeps referring to and capture methane during production? Thank you for the question. I, um, I've, I would love to uh, follow up on this question with your staff. I know that um, that, that is an, an issue. We take our job seriously, Senator. I, I know that um, um, it's important for us to, thank you. Uh, it is important for us to um, to move this issue forward, and uh, BOEM, uh, the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, continues to advance permits for these activities, and 49 have been issued since November of 2020. Has there been the permits for those 49 issued as well? 49 permits have been issued since November. G&G &G permits have been issued since November of 2020. Of the leases, you have 49 permits? Uh, yes, ma'am, as I understand it. Okay, in your opinion, what is the earliest we can see a lease sale? I can't prejudge that. Your department has issued a draft plan to the public but has yet to file the request for information that I'm sure you're familiar with, which is the action that triggers the first 45-day comment period that is necessary. As you know, pre-leasing activities such as area identification, NEPA review, environmental impact statements, and other activities are allowed so work can begin as quickly as possible once the lease is finalized. Since your department is already well past deadline for conducting lease sales, what progress has been made inside your department on preparing a request for information on any pre-leasing documents to ensure the most efficient transaction once lease is finalized. Thank you, Senator. <clears throat> I just, I, I guess I, I want to um, just make sure that I uh, uh, mention the fact that the reason why this five-year plan I, is, ha has been late to begin with is because it was dropped by the last administration. They started it and didn't finish it. We picked it up after that. Um, they took no further action after releasing the draft proposed plan in 2018. Uh, so we're moving forward expeditiously on the next steps. We have two steps of five completed. Um, the, uh, we released the proposed program. Uh, on July 1st, uh, the environmental impact statement, we began the 90-day public comment period, as I have mentioned. Uh, that started on July 8th. And um, then we will incorporate input to develop um, and publish the proposed final program, uh, which can be approved by the secretary and adopted 60 days later following presidential and congressional consideration. So it's the last administration's fault, who, by the way, was energy independent? Thank you, Senator Hyde-Smith. Your time is uh, expired, but you're welcome to, to adopt a second round if you'd like. Thank you. Uh, Senator Reid. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. Welcome, um, Madam Secretary and Ms. Flanagan. Uh, there has been throughout the morning, beginning with the, the chairman, a discussion of the uh, Biden administration's policy on gas prices, oil and gas leasing, and uh, you've mentioned some uh, facts, and I'd just like to get them right back on the table if I could. And you may answer these questions, the yes or no, but 
Uh, Madam Secretary, is it true that in the first year of the Biden administration, we produced more oil from federal lands onshore and offshore than in any year in history? Yes, Senator. Is it true that oil companies have nearly 9,000 approved but unused drilling permits? Yes, that's correct. Is it true that there are more than 20 million acres of unused federal leases, 12 million onshore and 8 million offshore? Yes. Is it true that the oil companies aren't using roughly half of their onshore federal leases? That's correct. And is it true that oil companies aren't using roughly 75% of their offshore federal leases? Yes, sir. So it seems one conclusion is that even though there is uh, ample capacity to drill, that the companies, for reasons related to the business, have decided they're not going to drill, or because of the, the price of oil is, is so high right now that they literally can make more money just extracting from existing wells and not, not increasing production, which would lower costs. Is that one possible analysis? Well, I, I think there's a, a lot that goes into uh, what the cost of fuel is, um, and um, I think there's a lot happening around the world that have caused uh, fuel prices to go up. No, I think there is, and I think also, too, we're at a moment where, uh, as uh, the automobile industry announces that within 10 years or so, they will have, they'll just sell electric cars, I think there's a lot of discussion among the boardrooms at hydrocarbon companies of, uh, do we really want to make billion-dollar investments? But uh, I think these factors are beyond the administration's control. They're the decisions of the companies that are they're making them at the moment. I want to uh, thank you for uh, joining myself and all of my colleagues and delegations in our White House and Congressman Langevin and Cicilline last summer when you signed in a ceremony the uh, formally, uh, to formally establish the boundaries of the Blackstone River Valley National Historic Park and in making it an official unit of the National Park Service. And thanks to the tireless work of the Park Service as well as state and local officials and volunteers, We've already received a recovery and revival of dozens of historic villages and, uh, along the river, uh, kayaking, you know, sports, hiking. But the Park Service still has a long way to go, as you all know. They have to acquire the old Slater Mill, which is literally the place where the Industrial Revolution began in the United States, completed general management plan, uh, build out administrative offices. Mm -hmm. It was, I'm glad to see that the administration put a slight increase in the, the budget this year, but I, I'm convinced they're going to need more resources. So I would ask you to, to commit to work with me in my office to increase funding so that we can really tackle the, uh, the establishment of this park. Absolutely. And thank you, Senator. I was happy to join you uh, for that issue. Uh, the 2023 budget includes $1.9 million for the park, and that would support fixed cost increases and in staffing capacity, which I know is important um, during these times. Uh, we want the park to grow, and so uh, there, there is a budget in there for that. I would uh, mention it, it runs into Massachusetts, so this is a two-state enterprise. Uh, and also, I, I must give credit to my predecessor, John Chafee, who really started this process many years ago. Uh, and he'd, uh, he'd be very happy today. Uh, we've talked about offshore wind. Uh, Rhode Island has the only offshore wind project in the United States. Uh, it was built, and it was built 
very efficiently. Uh, we're generating power now for uh, the entire island of Block Island, and actually excess power is going into our state grid. Um, and we're also committed to purchase another 600 megawatts of offshore wind power. Uh, indeed, uh, the New York Bite Wind Energy area is talking about $4.4 billion sale uh, of energy, hydro and energy power, wind energy power. Uh, one of the players in this whole process is Bohm, and they were very responsible and very responsive when we were doing our project. Uh, but they have to be very cognizant of other stakeholders, particularly fishermen. And this is an issue that I would ask your attention to. Uh, Bohm released a draft fisheries mitigation guidance last month, uh, but I think much more should be done. And uh, can you indicate what other steps Bohm might take or will take to, to expedite the licensing of these projects? Thank you for the question, Senator. And um, I know that Boehm takes this charge incredibly seriously. Um, they, they do include the fishing industry in, in the leasing process and, uh, and all the proposed projects that they do. Uh, they have stakeholder engagement consistently. Um, uh, since 2008, Boehm has invested more than $70 million on environmental studies that address renewable energy issues, including developing fisheries. Uh, best management practices under these circumstances. I know that um, moving to uh, a clean energy or, or transitioning to a clean energy economy, um, it's, it's not without um, important issues. So I, I know that Boehm cares deeply. Uh, the fishing industry is incredibly important, not only to the economy, but to the health of our country. And so, um, so uh, it, we're happy to t speak with you about this mm -hmm. if there's other ideas that you have, but I, I want to assure you that they are um, working very hard to make sure that uh, the industry is fully engaged in, in the process and, and the projects that we are doing. Thank you very much, Madam Secretary. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you. Now, uh, Senator Haggerty. Thank you, Senator Merkley, Senator Murkowski, for holding this hearing. Um, Secretary Holland, thank you for appearing here today. Um, we got some very bad news this morning. The consumer price index inflation posted at 9.1%. Uh, that's a 40-year record high. If you look at gas prices at the pump, they're at all-time record highs. American families are suffering tremendously right now. Secretary Holland, you're responsible for granting oil and gas leases on federal land. Federal lands account for about a quarter of U.S. oil production. Yet on July 1st, despite the fact that American families are facing record high prices, your department announced that it might not issue any new offshore oil and gas leases for the next five years, and you limited yourself to a maximum of 11 leases. And in the process, your department said that this, quote, significantly narrowed the 47 leases proposed by the previous administration. And in support of this effort to reduce U.S. oil and gas production, you declared, and I'd like to read the quote, from day one, President Biden and I have made clear our commitment to transition to a clean energy economy. So, Secretary Holland, I want to ask you, at what point, at, at what point is this transition to a green energy economy that you and President Biden are trying to force worth making American families pay $6 a gallon at the pump. Senator, thank you for the question. 
And first of all, I completely understand. Um, I raised my kid as a single mom. I, it's hard, it's difficult, right? And, and I have had those experiences. So I, I, I want you to know that I care deeply about American families who are um, suffering right now. Of course, we're, coming, we're still coming off of a two-year pandemic uh, that really affected our country in so many ways. Um, I do want you to know that um, the vast majority of U.S. oil and gas production occurs on private lands. Federal lands have produced more oil uh, than any time in our history. Um, it's so a, you're, it's you're telling me that the time. Biden administration is a champion of oil production here in America? I'm just saying that because of the way the leases and permits have gone over the last several years, oil production from federal lands and waters right now is at an all-time high. Well, I think it's important what you signal to the marketplace. Chairman Reed brought this up. American oil and gas companies are not investing right now because the environment has been terrible for them. You've created an environment here. You've sent every message since this administration took office mm -hmm. that you will ensure that the Biden administration will ensure that oil and gas investments do not pay off in America, killing the Keystone XL pipeline. You think about the message that comes to the industry when they find out that you're not going to allow new leases on oil and gas properties or you're going to limit yourself to only 11 over the next five years at the maximum. This is sending a very bad message. What I need to understand from you is at what point, at what point does, does, does the pain that American families are feeling that you indicate you're, you're, you're appreciative of, is it $6 a barrel that you say, I'm going to give up this attempt to force this green new energy program and, and go back to maximizing oil and gas production here in America? At what point will you commit, and I'm asking you to commit, to increase oil and gas production to address the pain that American families are feeling. Um, Senator, I, I would like to um, also mention to you, and I've said this many times, there are 9,000 unused permits currently, um, permits that oil companies can use to drill that are not being used. Um, and um, onshore, more than 12 mil million acres are under lease. Offshore, 8 million acres are under lease. There is. So there I, I, is I just want to make this clear that you are saying that the Department of Interior under the Biden administration is champion oil and gas production here in America. Well, I can say that um, because of how things have gone over the last several years, there are um, thousands of permits and, um, and land under lease that could be used uh, by these companies to drill. What we need to see to address the pain at the pump right now is an expansion of supply. You have many tools at your disposal, and as the Secretary of Interior, I'm asking you, will you commit to use every tool at your disposal to expand oil and gas production at this point, given the pain that we're suffering right now? Um, Senator, my, my job as Interior Secretary is to um, conserve and uh, manage the uh, natural resources and cultural heritage for every single American. And I said from day one that we would do that in a balanced approach, and I feel very confident that our team is looking at every, uh, at every issue, and we're working to make sure that this is a balanced approach. Madam Secretary, you mentioned the word balance. But balance is precipitating massive pain. If you think about where gas prices were the day that your administration took office, two dollars and thirty odd cents a gallon. We're now looking at six dollars a gallon of oil, a gasoline at the pump. American families are suffering dramatically, 
then I'll come back and ask you again, at what point do you back off this attempt to force a transition to green energy? At what point will you use the tools at your disposal to expand oil and gas production here in America? Uh, Senator, thank you for the question. And um, I know that um, nationally, as of July 11th, gas prices are at 468 a gallon. That's still incredibly high. And Senator Murkowski mentioned that in Alaska, they're a lot higher. I, I understand this, and, and, I, and I understand exactly what that means, because I have been in positions like that in the past. Um, I, I well, do please, I implore you to use that understanding to feel that pain and do something about it. You have the power. You, you control a quarter of the production lands here in America, the oil and gas leases that could be permitted. Please commit to me that you'll do everything in your power to use your authority to expand production now. Senator, there are 9,000 unused drilling permits right now today and millions of acres I've of heard land. this excited. That's less than 10% of the total that we're talking about. That's a distortion. That's a distraction. I'm asking you to send the message to industry to do everything that you can to expand oil and gas production. You will not commit to doing that, Secretary? Um, Senator, uh, again, I would just like to say that uh, that gas oil and oil production is at an, at an all-time high on federal lands currently at this time. What we need to see is a message to the marketplace that expands production, not constrains it. How do you explain the record high prices that we're experiencing but we're not for that? How do you explain the fact that we're no longer in a position to be a net energy exporter? How do you explain the transition from $2.30 gas to $6 a gasoline that's happened in the 18 months that this administration has been in office? Senator, thank you for the question. And um, I am, we're more than happy to follow up with your office. I'm very disappointed that you're not able to commit to the simple notion that you should use the authority that you have, Madam Secretary, to expand production now to alleviate the pain for the American public. We are suffering dramatically. Our economy is in tough shape, 9.1% inflation right now and record high prices. Thank you, Mr. Chairman.